Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. God is great, and He is great to be praised. The Bible says that His mercy endureth forever. One writer said that His mercies are new every morning. You'll never run out of mercy. Thank God. You'll never run out of mercy. You'll never run out of, you'll never run out of the need of mercy. As long as we're in human flesh, thank God for His mercy this morning. Exodus chapter 6, and verse number 6, the Bible says, Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm, and with great judgments. And I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. For a few moments this morning, with the help of the Lord, I want to minister on this thought, the cup. The cup. Look at your neighbor this morning and tell him, the cup. Amen. You may be seated. There is an annual celebration. It's called the Passover. The Jewish people commemorate their liberation from Egyptian bondage. The final key to their deliverance before leaving Egypt were the ten plagues that God smote the Egyptians with. And among these, the tenth and perhaps worst of these plagues was the death of the firstborn. God instructed the Israelites to mark the doorpost of their home and the upper post of their door with sacrificial blood. And he said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Hence the name Passover is used to mark this holiday celebration. It begins with what's called the Passover Cedar which is a Jewish ritual feast that marks the beginning of the Passover celebration. Cedar simply means order or arrangement. As such, it is a celebration that is so ritualistic and celebrated that it has remained nearly unchanged for almost 3,500 years. Uh, Just a little bit outside of this, I got really excited a couple of months ago whenever I started my new job because our parent company is in the country of Israel And uh, I started on April 1st, March 31st was Easter. So my first day of employment, our parent company was off work, and I was told it was because they were on holiday due to Passover. And uh, Brother Freddie, that just struck the reality of it, just struck me so genuinely, because here's something that I've heard about and read about in the Bible all of my life. And now I became acquainted with a group of people that were resting at home because of this holiday that we read about in the Old Testament. So it just it, there was a connection that it made in my spirit 
Uh, real quick, and I, I got all excited about it, and I thought, well, that's just, that's just awesome. But uh, the Passover is a celebration of sorts. The cedar is the first day of Passover. It's broken into 15 different segments. I'm going to give you about a, about a five or ten minute history lesson here real quick. So don't, don't go to sleep on me. You snooze now, you lose it later. But 15 different segments, including many different prayers, many blessings. It included wine. I'll not debate today if it was wine or grape juice. You can use your imagination. Appetizers, the main meal. They had a post-meal blessing. And then it was followed with the singing of songs. For this singing celebration, they recited what's called the Hallel, which consists of reciting in singing fashion the book of Psalms, chapter 113, through Psalms 118. Now, you Bible readers know this morning that Psalms 118 is the longest single chapter in the entire book. That's quite the song to sing. That's quite the... Uh, anybody want to take any volunteers this morning to, to sing Psalms 113 through 118? That's, uh, that's uh, quite the, uh, the length of, of, of Scripture there. And uh, it is a common part of Jewish morning prayer service, but is generally not recited at night time. The only time it's recited at night is during Passover Cedar. Upon completion of the Hallel, they move to Psalms 136 and sing another praise to God that specifically mentions how God delivered the Israelites out of the hands of Pharaoh and out of the hands of Egyptian bondage. There are in the Jewish tradition four cups of wine that are used during this celebration. You will not see these cups mentioned in Scripture. However, within the Jewish tradition, the symbolism behind their use is within Scripture. I read it in your hearing just a few moments ago in Exodus chapter 6. We'll read it again. It's very short. He says, Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm. The first cup found in this tradition of celebration is the cup of sanctification. Where the Lord says, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. The second cup is the cup of deliverance. Where he says, I will rescue you from their bondage. The third cup is the cup of redemption where he says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. The fourth cup is the cup of praise where he says, I will take you as my people. The cedar begins. The celebration is kicked off with the first cup. It is the cup of sanctification where he says, I will bring you out. To kick it off, they begin to recite the happenings of the Passover. They begin to recite the happenings of the Exodus journey. They, begin, they still do this in modern day times. They begin to recite what God had done for them during this time of delivering them out of bondage. There is a power this morning, ladies and gentlemen, in remembering what God has done for you in your life. 
It would be very easy today, especially for, for us uh, veteran saints of God, if you've been in church for a, a seasoned number of years, it could perhaps be very easy to forget exactly where you came from. It could be very easy because we try to focus on the here and now. We try to focus on what God has done for us today and where we're headed tomorrow. We put a lot of emphasis on tomorrow and we oftentimes put a lot of emphasis in not looking back over our shoulder. But ladies and gentlemen, yet it still remains important today that we celebrate not just where we are, but we need to celebrate in our worship where God has brought us from. Somebody shout hallelujah. There was, during a revival service of a, a particular church, there was an elder statesman of that sanctuary who stood. He was in his upper later years in life and he stood to testify. And upon standing to his feet, he stood and he paused for a few moments on night number one and he just simply could not find the words to say. The years had gripped him. His memory was not what it once was. And, and, and embarrassed, he took his seat and he, re, he just decided there was nothing for him to say because he couldn't remember what he wanted to say. Night number two came around and once again he stood to his feet to testify and he lost his words. He could not remember what it was he wanted to say. On night number three, one more time, he stood. And when he stood to his feet, this time something was a little bit different. This time he remembered what had happened. This time he stood to his feet and the first words out of his mouth were, I remember what the Lord has done for me. Ladies and gentlemen, it's important today that yes, we live in victory. Yes, we walk by faith. But it's important for us to have a mirror reflection that says, I once was lost in sin, but Jesus took me in. I cannot afford to forget what God has done for me. How many remember this morning when God brought you out? How many remember how God healed your body? How God saved your soul? I can still remember on that, that Saturday night, August the 9th, 1986, when God filled this young man with the baptism of his spirit. I can remember going to an altar of prayer and leaving different than it was whenever I came and my life has forever been changed. I can't afford to forget what God has done in my life. There were some of you this morning that in your past lies embarrassing things. There are some of you this morning that in your past lies things you would just as soon nobody know about. There are things in here this morning, some of you, you're, you're pondering maybe even now some events in your life that you would just as soon forget about. There, there's some days gone by. Maybe, maybe it was some alcohol abuse or drug abuse or, 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 or extramarital affairs or, or whatever the case may be. There are days gone by you just as soon forget. But ladies and gentlemen, when we enter into a house of worship. We need to take those days we just soon forget and turn that into some praise of deliverance and some praise of thanksgiving because I can stand proudly today and say that I'm not the man I used to be. I once was lost. Now I'm found. I once was bound by sin, but now I'm free. Somebody clap your hands to the Lord. He's a great God. 
a great God. The second cup, when they're going through their celebration and they've tipped off the festivities with the first cup, the cup of sanctification, then they, they tell the story. They recant the story of the Exodus journey and the Passover and all that it meant to them leads up to the drinking of the second cup. The second cup where God says, I will rescue you from their bondage. The symbolism of drinking at this point is that they now have recognized the Passover story has been told. And symbolically, they are now reenacting the exact day and time that the Hebrews left Egypt. At this point in the celebration, the Passover is over. At this point in the celebration, they've already been given God's promise. And God has already delivered them. So the second cup is a cup of deliverance where they are acknowledging that when God said, I will, that he has. Ladies and gentlemen, when God gives you an answer today, if God says, I will, then rest assured, he's going to. They were saying, he said, I will. Now they're saying with cup number two, he's already done it. Why? Because he's a God of deliverance. He's a God who sets us free. He's a God that heals the broken heart. He's a God that remembers his promises. But it's important to note this morning that when God promised the children of Israel that He would deliver them if they had never moved. If they had never moved, they would have never had deliverance. What are you saying, Brother Mason? I'm saying their deliverance was completely contingent on their obedience. God has promised many of us many things. God has even promised this assembly over the last 10 or 15 years many things that were prophetically spoken. And I believe with all of my heart, Bishop, that God is God. And when God spoke those things, it was God speaking those things. I believe by the word of God this morning that the prophetic is real and that God is still able to speak into our lives today just as he was when the Bible was written because he is still God. But yet for those things to become real in our life, there must be a fabric of obedience in our spirits because we cannot sit idly by and just assume the promises of God will just automatically occur. They didn't automatically occur then. It required work. It required effort. It required escaping fear. God is God and God will promise you great things, but it will require your obedience. Obedience. Every time we gather for worship, it needs to be a celebration of God's promise that He would bring us out of sin. And not only did He say He would, but it's a celebration that He did. The third cup in the series of festivities occurs when they begin pondering 
on the miracle of the Red Sea. There were many miracles that occurred. But the one single miracle at its greatest form when they left Egypt that really set the bar high for their freedom was the Red Sea. The Red Sea, we know from the Word of God, parted. As Moses laid the rod to the waters, the, the, the waters became a wall, a, a sea wall that just parted. And the Bible tells us that they walked across on dry ground. There's the miracle within the miracle. But they, they, they walk across and they are running from an Egyptian army. The army is now following their passage through the sea. The, the army of, of Pharaoh is also crossing dry ground. The, the, the walls of the sea that are up above them are, are the same for them as they were the children of Israel. But the Bible does tell us that as Israel crossed the Red Sea, that God allowed the waters to collapse. And in doing so, it drowned Pharaoh's army. At this moment in time, it was the first time that the Hebrews felt totally redeemed. Because up until this time, every time they've ran, there's been somebody chasing them. Everywhere they've ran, there's been a chariot behind them. Everywhere they've ran, ladies and gentlemen, their past has been shortly behind them. But now they've crossed the Red Sea. Now they've went somewhere that they've never gone before. And now the waters are collapsed behind them. Pharaoh's army has drowned behind them. And now they are completely, undeniably redeemed because they are set free from this army. For God said, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Now they don't have to live in the same fear they lived in. Because the thing that haunted them has now died. How many of you have, have experienced the times in your life when you came to God, you feared you couldn't make it? Because your past was shortly behind you. You, you feared that, that today was the day you were going to fall. Today was the day you would fail. But there came a day through consistency and worship that you realized that your past was not as close to you as it once was. The Bible says He will redeem you with an outstretched arm. The story of the Red Sea is also symbolically a lesson to us in the New Testament of what baptism does. How is this a picture of baptism? It is a picture of baptism in that Moses and the children of Israel, as they crossed the land, they turned around to see what was happening. They turned around to see everything that was chasing them. All of the cruelty, the men that had laid whips to their backs, all the men that had caused them so much trouble, they watched it all drown and watched God destroy their past in the water. Just the same as when you are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Baptism is about destroying all of the sins that held you bound. All of the past that held you bound. All of the things that refused to give you freedom. Your sins are now washed away. Your past is now redeemed. And you're now set free from the bondages that you were once in. And in doing so God has liberated you with a freedom and a right to celebrate. Every time we come to church, it ought to be a celebration. 
leads us to the fourth cup. The fourth cup is an expression that refers to the marriage of God. The marriage of God and the Hebrews that was sealed with a covenant on Mount Sinai occurred 50 days after the exodus from Egypt. 50 days after they walked away. Well, let, let's pause here and understand something for just a moment. The, according to historians, the children of Israel had been in bondage for 80 years. 80 years they had whips laid to their back. 80 years they were made to get their own straw to make bricks. 80 years they were building somebody else's temples. 80 years they had their own children taken to the river and tossed in there. 80 years they were slaughtered and beat and spit on like they were nobody. And for 80 years, they never turned to God. For 80 years, they never even asked God for help. For 80 years, it was though they had forgotten who Jehovah God was. And they just took it because they found a security in Egypt. If we're not careful this morning, we will find security in the wrong things. Because a fear of change will paralyze you from getting freedom. It took an action. It took an action on their part. And we see that when they were finally tired of the situation they were in, they finally lifted their voice up to God. And when they lifted their voice up to God, this is background history, when they lifted their voice up to God, that is when God sent Moses. That is when God sent a deliverer. When you get so tired of the situation you're in, you're not tired of it yet if you don't want to change it. I spoke to a young man on the phone just a few days ago and I told him very clearly and I felt the presence of the Lord move as I was speaking. I told him, I said, if you are as sick and tired of your situation as you say you are, then it's your responsibility. This is an open door for you to change it. Well, I don't know how. I walked him through how. I walked him through the plan of God. I walked him through the phone on how to serve God and how to pray and how to get reconnected with God only to turn around, Pastor, five minutes later and him to recant the whole story over again and say, I just don't know how. I come away from that conversation disturbed because here is a person saying, I'm tired of my situation, I'm tired of my life, I'm tired of the decisions I'm making, but yet not willing to make different ones. You're not tired of your situation yet until you're ready to do something about it. If you're really tired of your situation, you will do something about it. That's the situation the children of Israel were in. They finally got tired of the bondage. They finally got tired of the corruption. They finally got tired of being beat. So they enter into an exodus journey. And 50 days into their journey, they find themselves at Sinai. And there is a covenant that God makes between Himself and His people. Now we find, and we can turn over to the New Testament, and we find there is another celebration that is also connected to the 50th day. Except this time it's not a physical exodus. This time it was an exodus referred to as Calvary. This time it would have eternal implications for our soul. This time it was 50 days after Jesus rose again on the third day. This 
this time it was the book of Acts telling us and when the day of Pentecost was fully come there were all with one accord in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it set upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The fourth cup, ladies and gentlemen, is the cup of praise. The fourth cup is where God said, I will take you as my people. You can't get any closer to God than being filled with His Spirit. You can't get any closer to God than being filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Oh, it just causes me to want to stand and shout praise to God because I've got a right I've got a right to praise the Lord when you are set free when a prisoner is set free especially one who was wrongfully imprisoned I haven't seen one on the news media yet that was so ultra-conservative that when he achieved his freedom that his response was, well, thank you. I appreciate that so very much. The typical response is usually met with tears. Maybe a, For joy. That woke some of you up, didn't it? The typical response is one that is met with some form of exuberation. Some form of happiness. Well, Brother Mason, I'm not a person that gets excited. Then you've not been set free yet. Well, that, that sounds awfully black and white. Perhaps it is. But when you're set free, you've got something to celebrate about. When you genuinely acknowledge you're no longer bound, you've got something to celebrate about. When the right buttons are pushed, I guarantee you, you'll have some emotion. <laughs> I was at work the other day, and uh, one of my supervisors came and got me. She said, uh, she came to my office, she said, I I've got a problem. I said, what's that? She said, we've got, a, we've got an animal back in the warehouse. I said, oh, really? She said, yeah. I said, well, what kind is he? She said, well, he's about four foot long. I thought, Lord, have mercy. I said, it's crocodile Dundee time. Grab me a broomstick and a flashlight. Here we went. We were trying to find those Lucifer. And there, there was a certain gentleman there who's... Who, who's, who's, who's not big in stature, and he's, he's just one of these kind of guys that comes across as just he can handle anything. You know, the manly man's type of man. I found out that he is a sissy when it comes to snakes. They said he will scream like a girl. So much so, I stuck my head in his office and I was just kind of jabbing him just a little bit. And he said, I, I stuck my head back in as I left. I said, by the way, you might want to make sure your office door is shut. 
when you leave because a lot of people like to tease him. He said, oh, it'll be shut and it'll be locked. He said, I don't have a key to it, but it'll be locked anyway. It was locked when he left. Nobody has a key. I don't know how he's going to get in tomorrow, but he didn't care. Because the last thing he wanted to do was walk in his office and find old Lucifer sitting in his chair. Now, I don't like him. I don't like him at all. And if, if you're, if you're a, a snake lover this morning, then, then God bless you too. But I'd just soon they die as live. I, I don't like them. And uh, I had specific plans for him if I was able to find him. Never did find him. So I don't know what we're going to find tomorrow morning. He went back in a corner somewhere and there was all kinds of insulation and, and cool concrete. It was, it was snake heaven. He may never come out. But my point is, when there's something like that that you fear and that you don't like, there's nothing stopping you from reacting. I guarantee you if some of those folks had seen him and he got him or her, whatever it was, if it got close enough, they'd have been... Reserved people. People who normally don't make noise. Follow me now. Don't tell me you're not emotional. You're emotional about something. Yeah, I know I'm right this morning. And if, if snakes isn't what pushes your button, something does. I, I, I read, read a little clip on, on Twitter or Facebook a couple of days ago. One of our, our ALJC pastors down in the south had, had drove over an alligator. Now, he kept driving. <laughs> he was underneath his wheels and in between his tires. Didn't hurt, didn't hurt the, the reptile any. He just kept going. He said, I just love living in the south. And I'm thinking, my goodness. It, if that was my luck, he'd have reached up and grabbed onto the bumper and rode with me. It's a good thing I don't live in the south. Something pushes your buttons. Something causes you to get excited. All I'm trying to say this morning is when we truly recognize that I've been set free. When we truly recognize that Calvary was as much about avoiding hell as it is going to heaven. When we truly recognize what it means to be born again. Something starts pushing my buttons and I'll start getting excited about God. He said, I will take you as my people. I will own you. I will count on you and I will acknowledge you. We may not have a literal cup this morning, but this cup is symbolic to our worship to God. So I'll let you answer the question this morning, but how full is your cup? Because the cup is symbolic of our worship. Our worship is our Passover. Our worship is our celebration opportunity for all He has done and for who He is. Apostolics, we cannot, we cannot allow ourselves to become conservative in our worship. I believe we must be conservative in our lifestyle but not conservative in our worship. 
We can't be like the status quo. I know churches, I don't want to sound rude or critical, but you can flip through the TV channels and you can see churches that do not preach truth. But they've got worship down. They've got celebration down. They connect with the Word of God. They walk with the preacher. They talk with the preacher. They're preaching with the preacher. Why? Because they're connecting with their freedom. If only they were truly free. But they're connecting with their freedom. They're connecting with what's being said. We need a connecting point. This should be our connecting point. This is the place where heaven and earth meet. This is the place where everything, all the stops are pulled. There's no holes barred. I'm going to celebrate and I'm going to connect to God. It must be a time where we sacrifice our pleasure. Time, you know, I've often heard Bishop say this over the years. The reason why we didn't have padded pews is because he didn't want us to get comfortable in our worship. I laughed at that years ago. And years ago, I thought to myself, yeah, 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 okay, that's fine. But we can worship and have padded pews too. And I do believe we can. Walk with me for just a second here. If we get comfortable in our worship as it is today, why would we seek more comfort? Church is not a theater. Church was never intended to be a place where you sleep. I know people who hate going to church because it's so boring. Church should never be boring. I hope you never leave here and say this church is boring. If you leave here and say this church is boring, then you did not engage. I guarantee you. Because if you engage, you're going to get something. Something. I mean, I like it, but you're going to get something. From the start to the ending, somewhere there's going to be something. The words, cup of wine are also mentioned four times in Pharaoh's butler's dream in Genesis chapter 40. According to Jewish tradition, this dream directly alluded to the Israelites' liberation from Pharaoh's rule. It was a different Pharaoh. This, this, is, this is before, this is well before the children of Israel were in bondage. But according to Jewish tradition, they think the two are directly linked together. For the Bible says that there would be a Pharaoh that would take the throne that knew not Joseph. The Passover is a celebration of their physical freedom. But it is also a celebration symbolic of their spiritual freedom. They were released from the clutches of depravity, impurity, and sin. The same as we. All of the recitations, quotes, songs, and praises to God that are given during the Passover cedar. Everything up to this point. The cups, the four different cups that they go through. Everything up to this point. All pales in comparison to what they hail as the best known quote of the evening. 
And it's, it's that one that holds the key emphasis to the entire event. And that is this question. How is this night different than all other nights? It is a line that is typically recited by the youngest person at the table. In order for the child to notice a difference between the cedar and any other night, the child has to be well acquainted with the normal daily routines of prayer and thanksgiving. There's a lot to that. The intentions were to provoke the child to inquire as to the difference. The intentions were for the night to be so dramatically different that the youngest child in the family would say, Hey, Daddy, what's different about tonight than any other night? Why do we have 15 different segments of prayer and celebration tonight when we normally only have six? That's the intentions. Why? Because one very careful thing you must understand about the Passover celebration, it's not a revival service. It's not a church congregation. The Passover cedar is a celebration that is a family celebration. This Passover celebration takes place at home. It's a very lavish setting. It's almost as if it was Thanksgiving time. It's a very lavish setting. All the table settings are placed for every person. And, and, and the grandparents are there. The parents are there. The children are there. The, the, the son-in-laws and daughter-in-laws are there. It's an entire family celebration. And it's held in the home. The message is clear today. Yes, we need church. Yes, we need a sanctuary. Yes, we need a connecting place where heaven and earth meet. Yes, we need to hear the Word of God preached. Yes, we need midweek Bible study. Yes, we need worship service. Yes, we need to engage with the clapping of our hands and the lifting of our hands in the sanctuary. But the single greatest message that is received here, ladies and gentlemen, is that we need God in our homes. Everything we do here, and hear me, hear me clearly this morning. Everything we do up on this platform in this service on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, Friday night youth, any other occasion, everything we do is a waste of your time if we don't live it at home. If we don't practice what we preach, then we need not preach. We need God in our home. We need to practice God in our home. Our parenting methods should be guided by God's Word. We need to give an occasion to remembering God's greatness in our life. They recite back to the Hallel, they recite Psalms 113 through 118 at home, not in Sunday school. We have a hard enough time getting them to remember one verse once a week. Hello? They're reciting chapters as a daily prayer, as a daily celebration. We need to give an occasion to remembering God's greatness in our lives. 
His grace, His mercy, His protection, His healing, His power. This needs to be a family event. If you don't like what your kids are doing, change what you're doing at home. Amen. Don't expect to live however you want to at home and then live for God at church. Exodus 13 and 8 is an instruction that was given. It says, And thou shalt show thy son in that day, saying, This is done because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. They were instructed to teach in the family the reason and the purpose of Passover. We'd be a lot better off in our church services if we do some teaching at home on why we live the way we do, why we worship the way we do, why it's important to go to church. I'm closing soon. Malachi 3 and 10 says, Bring ye all the tithes to the storehouse. Don't get nervous on me. That there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour. Everybody say that with me. Pour. pour. How do you pour? Pour with a cup. Whether it's your cup in your hands to make the formation of a cup or, or whether you have Starbucks. You pour. I had to bring the best. You pour with a cup. And pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now, we have the opportunity to render unto God praise for the cup of sanctification, the cup of deliverance, the cup of redemption, and the cup of praise. And for everything we're giving unto God, when we give unto Him faithfully, that's not just your money. Includes it. <laughs> Got to say that much. But it doesn't stop there. It includes your time. You know, if, it's, if you're doing what you're just supposed to do, that's not a sacrifice. When, when I evaluate an employee, when it, whenever it becomes evaluation time, when I evaluate an employee, I look carefully at what they do versus what they're supposed to do. Because we live in a society today that uses a lot of superlatives. You know, somebody's there all, every, all the time and they're, they're a good worker. We say, man, they're just outstanding. They're here all the time. Well, being there all the time is what they're paid to do. <laughs> technically, I don't want to cross anybody's theology this morning, but in, in Business 101, technically, that's not outstanding. That's the minimum requirement. <laughs> being at work to get paid to do your job, that's the requirement. So I, I don't grade somebody as being outstanding just because they're there all every day. If they're not there every day, then they drop below satisfactory. 
But they meet satisfactory if they're just doing what they're supposed to be doing. To go above and beyond is to do things that they weren't asked to do. Hello? To, to sweep the floor, to, to, to take out the trash, to, to do the things that no one wants to do and they didn't even have to be asked to do, they just did it and come and said, hey boss, I took care of that for you. That's borderline outstanding. In our walk with God, we, we cannot claim sacrifice if we're just barely doing what we're supposed to be doing. But if we can give unto God sacrificially of our life, our faith, our faithfulness, our time, and our consistency. When we're giving Him the cup of praise, the Bible says that He will pour out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to contain it. Stand with me this morning. <coughs> a lot of people want favor. Hear me well today. You'll never get favor without sacrifice. This word favor is being tossed around a lot these days. And I believe that we are the children of the King and I believe we can have His favor. But I'm not going to get His favor by just merely showing up. Checking, checking attendance off of my time clock is not what's going to get me favor. But if I'll render unto Him some sacrifice of praise, if I'll give unto Him of my life, of my time, maybe I can get some favor. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to keep a cup in my hand. And I want to keep a praise in my mouth. I wish you'd just lift your hands right now and take an opportunity. This altar is open. Take an opportunity this morning to render unto God some praise. Maybe you just want to symbolically lift your hands up this morning. Maybe in your mind's eye, you're holding a cup in your hand. And you're saying, God, I thank you for redemption. I thank you for deliverance. I thank you for sanctification. I thank you, God, for an opportunity to praise. As many as would, why don't you gather around this altar this morning? Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's F-A-C-M-C. Thank you and have a blessed day.